this morning, I want to, uh, as I was reading this past week in the Bible, I came across a verse that kind of jumped out at me, and I wanted to spend a few minutes looking at that verse and uh, title this particular sermon, The Song of Fools, The Song of Fools, and that kind of sounds like I may be fixing to rain on your, uh, maybe your favorite country song or your, the latest song, and I'm not. Those things probably need a little raining on because uh, uh, most of those songs do glorify the world, but... Uh, it's not uh, a message specifically about music in general, but uh, in Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, uh, this is the verse that I want. Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter in verse five, it says, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. That's where the title of this sermon comes from, the song of fools. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Now, uh, all of us can attest to um, how influential uh, music or songs can be to us. Uh, there are uh, some songs that you may hear that uh, have a way of stirring your emotions, uh, maybe in a good way, maybe in a bad way, uh, or maybe there's um, hymns that we sing here that may stir your emotions. And you even think about in the Bible in the days of King Saul when uh, he was uh, troubled mentally, uh, it was the music of David's harp that had a tremendous effect on him. So anybody that ever said that a song or music does not affect you, I would just have to wholeheartedly disagree. Now, I'm not saying they all do, uh, but there are songs that I can listen to that make me want to go fishing. There are songs that I can listen to that make me want to run home and be with my family. Songs that I can listen to that make me you know, want to go out and, and do all kind of stuff. Songs have influence on us. And the song of fools is no different. It's a very powerful influence on us. And as I was reading through this and studying, uh, I, I went way, way, way back in time and, uh, and grabbed uh, just a, a brief memory of, of a book. And I don't remember a whole lot about it. Y'all probably do. I'll ask Josh to come up here. He knew more, probably knows more about it. But do you remember uh, it, that a series of books, I think it was, and uh, it was uh, in, uh, you know, set in Greek mythology, and um, it was uh, you know, the Odyssey. Does anybody remember the book, The Odyssey? And uh, if I'm getting some of that wrong, just bear with me. It doesn't really matter. I'm just trying to get to one particular point in the story. And in this particular book, um, there is a man that is uh, about to set sail, and as he is about to set sail with his servants, he's warned by another man. Uh, and again, this is all made up stuff, you know, it's just, it's just, but it paints the point. He is warned by another man that somewhere out in the sea, there is an island. And on that island, it is a sea of beautiful women. And they sing, I think they were called sirens or something like that. Maybe that's not how it's pronounced. Um, but they are, uh, the, the, the sirens were a, a group of beautiful women who sang irresistible songs. And the songs were so uh, touching and so powerful and so influential that anybody that passed by and heard them would just be drawn to them and they just, they couldn't resist them. And the whole point of it was as the ships would, would seek out where those songs were coming from, they would uh, run aground and destroy their ship on the rocks and become shipwrecked. And so the man, as he's warned about this, he tells his servants, he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. 
uh, he says, uh, I want you to tie me to the mast of the ship where I cannot get loose. And I'll, no matter what I tell you, as we're, as we're sailing and we begin to hear those songs, no matter what I tell you, do not listen to me. And the servants take wax and uh, as they set sail and they um, shove wax in their ears. I, I, I don't understand why he didn't just shove wax in his ears too, but I guess maybe he's afraid he'd pull it out or something. And so this is a man that understood there are going to be songs that affect me in a powerful way. And I'm going to take whatever measures I've got to take to keep that from happening. It's a great picture of temptation and the resisting of temptation. Uh, even though it's a completely made up story in Greek mythology, uh, it's wonderful. And so they set sail and they tie them to the mast and they all, and so they can avoid the influence of these songs. And so I thought about that as I was reading this verse when it says it's better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. You are going to hear the song of fools. Okay, as you walk through this life, there are going to be songs. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about literal songs. I'm talking about messages that are given to you. And the Bible describes them as songs of fools because they're the counterpart here. It says it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than the song. So he's painting the picture here of a song being the opposite of a rebuke. Now, what is a, a rebuke? It's generally where there's some instruction and some correction given to us. And so the opposite of the rebuke or the, uh, the instruction or correction would, would be, in, in my vernacular, be like somebody giving you the green light. Like instead of here's some instruction or correction on a particular thing, it's, it's, uh, it's support. It's encouragement to go do this thing. And the Bible says you're better off to hear the rebuke than to hear somebody say, oh, yeah, just go on and do this. And just kind of uh, let me say it this way. Just follow your heart. I've talked about that many times. Nothing sings the song of a fool louder than our own wicked hearts. OK, so that's what he's talking about. It's not a literal song here. And you think about what the Bible talks in Galatians. And we're all very familiar with this about when the Bible talks to us about being born again, that we we take on a new nature, a spiritual nature, a divine nature. Now, we're all born with the nature of the flesh. The nature of the flesh is the, is the part of you that says, uh, if it feels good, do it. If you like it, go after it. Uh, there's no restraint. There's no restriction. It's all about self and serving yourself. Okay, that's, that's the nature of the flesh. Now, the divine nature that we're given when we're born again is a nature that says, let's do this thing God's way. Let's interact with people God's way. Let's forgive God's way. Let's handle this situation God's way instead of doing it in a self-serving way. Well, the Bible tells us in Galatians that those two natures are contrary to one another. There is nothing more disagreeable in this life than the spiritual nature that a born-again child of God carries and his nature of the flesh. They're entirely opposite and extremely disagreeable. I, had a, I was thinking about that, and one time I had a guy come in the office. He's dead and gone now, and y'all probably know him, but I don't even remember his name. Thank goodness, or I might slip up and say it. He comes in the office. I've never met him, never met this man. He sits down in the chair, and I walk in the room, and um, 
I say, good morning, Mr. Solzer. How are you doing? He looks at me. I, I'm not kidding you now. He says, listen, I had a vision that my appointment today was going to be you and I being very disagreeable with one another. I know that you love walking into those rooms. I thought, well, why don't we just stop here and you just go somewhere else? Do us all the favor, you know? And I said, well, I hope you at least give me a chance, you know? And, um, and, and we ended up being okay, you know, on that. But in his mind, there, were, there was going to be some things that were disagreeable there, but nothing compared to the spirit in the flesh. You understand? Now, I want to go to 1 Kings for just a minute, and I want to look at an example here of where a man listened to the songs of fools and ended up shipwrecked. And the end of it all, the take-home message today, is that if you listen to the song of fools, you will end up shipwrecked. Now, you might try to hide that and disguise that. You know, and, and, and I like what Brother Tim said years ago when Facebook kind of became popular, he began to call it fake book. I don't know if he came up with that, but that's pretty solid. You might can get on fake book and act like things are not shipwrecked for you. But you can't hide it. Right. Now, in 1 Kings, the 22nd chapter, I don't have time to read all of this, but I want to kind of lay some groundwork here to look at a man. And, and ironically, uh, we're going back, even though I just preached four or five sermons on Elijah and Ahab uh, and, and how you know that, that handled 1 Kings 17, 18, 19, Ahab's at it again. And clearly he is stubborn as a mule and has learned nothing from his encounter with Elijah. And in 1 Kings 22, it says, And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel, which is Ahab. So you got two kings here. Jehoshaphat comes to visit Ahab. And Ahab says... Know ye not that Ramoth is in, in Gilead is ours, and we be still and take it not out of the hand of the, of the king of Syria. So he's saying there's a piece of land over here, Ramoth Gilead, that really belongs to us. We've lost it in these battles. Three years now we've been without war, and that piece of property is still sitting over there and really belongs to us. How long are we going to let the king of Syria just kind of keep roaming around on our land before we go take it back? And so he, meaning Ahab, said unto Jehoshaphat, Will thou go with me to battle to Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am, I am as thou art. My people is thy people. My horses are thy horses. That is to say, I'm with you. And Jehoshaphat, wisely, Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Now notice this. Then the king of Israel, which is Ahab, gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. All right, this is three chapters. All right, three chapters ago, do you remember what happened to the prophets of Ahab? Do you remember the, the great competition we talked about with Elijah and the prophets of Baal? And how there were 400 prophets of, of, of Baal and there were uh, 450 prophets of the grove. Do y'all remember that? Do you remember what happened to those 850 prophets? 
Do you remember that they took them down and they slew them after the fire of the Lord came down? And Jezebel is so mad that she puts a death wish and a death warrant out on um, Elijah's head. And all of a sudden, Ahab is without his 400 prophets. That's three chapters ago. And it says here that Ahab calls together his prophets about 400 men. Now listen, we'll read on here. These are not godly prophets. Do you remember the verse in the Bible? And I know it's disgusting, but it says, as a dog returns to his vomit and as a washed sow returns to the mud. That's Ahab. Okay, this is Ahab who has experienced this great mighty thing from the Lord and the Lord has, has, has taken all the prophets of Baal away and it takes him three chapters to get 400 more. And he goes to those 400 prophets and says, shall I go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I forbear? And here we go. And they say, the song, they start singing the song of fools. And they said, go up for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And here's another sermon for another day and another warning. But just because somebody says something that smells godly and looks godly and feels godly does not mean it's godly. Amen. Because here they're saying, oh, the Lord has told us that you need to go up and take that land back from the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat, again, wisely said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord? Remember these 400 prophets right here? Clearly Jehoshaphat recognizes these are not prophets of God. Maybe they're prophets of Ahab. Prophets of Baal. Prophets of Jezebel. And Jehoshaphat says, is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And notice what the king says. The king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, there is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. And I can just picture him with well, his fallen countenance and his lip, his lip pooched out. He says, There's one, and his name's Micaiah, and he says, But I hate him, but for he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat very wisely again says, Let not the king say so. Ahab, don't be that way. You've got a guy over here that you recognize as a prophet of the Lord, but you hate to go to him because he never tells you what you want to hear. So that's a problem of the flesh. The flesh wants to hear what we want to hear. And brothers and sisters, don't, believe, don't think that you, in, a, in moments of weakness, will not heap to yourselves people that will tell you what you want to hear. Don't find people that will willingly sing the song of fools to you because they are heading you straight for shipwreck. But that's what Ahab wants. You know, it's, I believe it's over in 1st or 2nd Timothy says that the day's coming where they will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves. These people that have itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. You remember there's times in the Bible where it says that the people said, don't prophesy unto us hard things, prophesy unto us smooth things. Sing to us the song of fools. And that's where Ahab is. He says, I don't want to hear the man. I do not want to hear the rebuke of the wise. I want to hear the song of fools. And so <clears throat> the king of Israel called an officer 
because of Jehoshaphat's influence and says, don't, don't be that way. The king of Israel called an officer and said, hasten hither Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes. They're getting serious about it, okay? They're, they're putting all the, 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 the garments on. They're sitting on their throne in a void place. That means at the, at the threshing floor of, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophesi- prophets prophesied before them. All right, you got the picture? Here's, here's maybe Ahab. On the, I'm going to put Ahab on the, on the left side, okay? That just seems appropriate. Got Ahab on the left side, and he's all dolled up in his kingly robes, probably his crown and all that stuff, sitting on the throne. And then you've got Jehoshaphat over here and all his garb. And they're, I mean, they're looking sharp, right? They're looking good. And it says they did all of that. And it says all the prophets prophesied before them. So here's 400 prophets that we know of that are standing front, in front of these two men at the gate of the city. That's what the Bible tells us. And 400 people. Have you ever had 400 people talking at one time? It's a little chaotic and it's loud. But these people are all saying the same thing. And I imagine that they're sitting here and those kings are, you know, their, their chest is kind of poked out and they're just feeling real good about it all. As 400 people say, go up, go up to Ramoth Gilead, go take the land back. The Lord is with you. Go get it and restore it back to Israel. And, and the more they talk, the more he probably says, just feels much better about himself. And so that's the scene that you're looking at. All the while, while this is going on, they've sent a messenger to go to get Micaiah, okay? All the prophets prophesied, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him saying, behold, now the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. So the servant that was sent to get Micaiah gets him and he has a little conversation with him and says, listen, we got 400 guys here that are saying that uh, they're declaring good to the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, I'm begging you, be like the word of one of them and speak that which is good. You know what he's saying to him? Hey, will you just, we got, don't make it 400 to one. We've been down that road. We've been down the road of 400, or really 850, 400 against one man named Elijah. It didn't turn out well. It sent, uh, uh, it sent massive shockwaves through the kingdom of Ahab. Let's don't rock the boat, Micah. If you don't mind, would you just sing the song of the fool to the king so we don't disrupt anything? And here's the problem. He needed to be saying, we do not want to be shipwrecked again. We do not want to listen to the song of fools again. Tell us whatever the Lord tells us. But that's not what he says. And Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth. Now this is a little confusing in our own human mind as we look at this scenario. And Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. Now that's when he and the servant are off together. And as they come closer... It says, so as so he came to the king and he walks up into this scenario, into this uh, scene where the two kings are sitting there and the 400 people are saying, go up and prosper. You know, the Lord is with you, blah, blah, blah. That's the scene that is going on when Micaiah walks up. 
It says, And so he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Now there's, you, know, you might be a little hearsay about why he said that. Maybe he said it because the servant had been pretty influential with him and he didn't want to rock the boat, but that's not what I think. I think he walks up onto this scene and he does what sometimes we do as children of God as we get exasperated. And he said, if you want to go down that road, go down that road. And why do I think that? Because however he said it, it was very clear with Ahab that, that uh, Micah was being a little bit, uh, not untruthful, but maybe he was being sarcastic. He walks up and he sees all these people, you know, throwing a fit and jumping up and down. Because listen, we know Ahab's prophets could be sincere. I remember they were so sincere, they would cut themselves and let it bleed on the altar of Baal. Just to prove the point. And so he says, go up, go up and prosper. The Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. I, I, that's how I picture it. The king says, my God, what are you going to do? <laughs> go up, Ahab. Look, go up, prosper, and blah, 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 whatever. And the king said, and this is why I think he said it that way. The king said, how many times shall I adjure thee or ask thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? He's basically saying, my God, how many times am I going to have to beg you to really tell me the truth? Look, I've, I've detected your sarcasm. I, I realize what you're doing here. How many times have I got to ask you, would you just tell me the truth? And boy, he didn't, he didn't waste any time telling him. And it's a, it is a sorrowful uh, lament of what he sees. He said, okay, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. All right, there's the rebuke of the wise. You got the song of the fool. You got the rebuke of the wise. What are you going to do, Ahab? Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? I mean, he's such a whiny baby. I don't know if you know if you say whiny baby from the pulpit, but he's a whiny baby. I told you he wasn't going to tell me anything good. He's not going to tell me what I want to hear. He did not sing to me the song of fools. He did not pour honey into my ears to make me feel good and big and proud and, and, and like I'm the greatest king that's fixing to march over there and take this land. He told me not to. Boy, a lot of that going on in today's society. And what you'll realize here, and again, for the sake of time, I'm... I'm going to have to turn this into two. For the sake of time, what you realize here, do you remember when the devil came to, to uh, the devil came before the Lord and started to inquire about Job? Something real similar happens here. And what we realize is the devil plays a major, major role in the influence that the prophets were giving to Ahab. And my point is this, behind who was the author of every song of the fool. It is the devil. He, he writes, he is the great songwriter for the fools. Now, 
We go on, and, and, and I'm going to rush through this here. We go on, and what we find is that he goes up anyway to Ramoth Gilead, even though he's not supposed to. But he's such a scaredy cat, because listen, the king of Syria said this to his army. Basically here. All right, here comes Israel. He says, I do not want you to fight with small people. I only want the king of Israel. He says, don't fight with small. Don't fight with great. Only go after the king of Israel. Well, I don't know if, if Ahab figured that out or not, but he makes Jehoshaphat dress up in his garments. I don't know how he got him to agree to that. And he dresses up just as a nobody. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to hide the fact that he's been listening to the song of the fool. And in the midst of this battle, look, they go after Jehoshaphat because they look at his garments and say, there he is, let's go get him. And they get to him and they're like, wait a minute, who are you? You're not the king of Israel. You're Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. That's not who we're looking for. And in the midst of all this, and, and I, I'm not going to say it was a wild arrow. I think the arrow found its mark, but I don't think the archer even knew or was aiming at anything. But this arrow somehow finds the joint and the armor that Ahab was hiding behind. And it hits him and it wounds him and it kills him. Shipwrecked. Are you with me? Why? Why was Ahab shipwrecked? Because he didn't tie himself to the mast or shove wax in his ears to keep from hearing the influential tempting song of the fool. The Bible says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Okay? One of the qualities of a true friend is that it is not always, you know, just wonderful, happy times. There's times that a true friend has to wound you and say, listen, what you're doing is not of the Lord. Don't do this. Don't marry this. Don't date this. Don't take this job. Don't spend all your Sundays out doing something other than church. Don't do these things. That's the rebuke of the wise. What does the song of fools say? The song of fools says, oh, no, no. You, if, hey, if you think they're good, marry them. If you like them, date them. If you want that job, take it. If you need to miss church to go do some things that you love, go do it. That's the song of fools, and they're heading you straight into shipwreck. Right. You can hide it all you want to, but eventually the arrow's going to find its mark. Yes. Amen. <clears throat> the song of fools will lead you to shipwreck. Do not be like Ahab. Be the man that would have said, there's 400 people singing me a sweet, beautiful song and it's the one that I want to hear in my pride. I want to go conquer. I want to go overtake. But I got one man that seems to be much more connected with the Lord that's telling me not to. So I think I'm going to listen to that song instead of the song of the fool. What, I would, what, what would make me feel a great amount of joy is if the phrase the song of fools laid hold of your mind and became a household phrase that parents my goodness we are losing we are losing the generation of teens right now right. my generation has ultimately failed as parents 
I, I, we went out uh, to uh, last couple nights. We went to a, uh, watch a rodeo. And listen, I'm sorry, brother. Give me one more minute. I think young women stand in front of their closet and they pick the thinnest, shortest, tightest clothes they can find. And I say that with a broken heart. We're losing them. We're letting them listen to the songs of fools. Young men running around, and they're not men. They're, they're ignorant, foolish males. My generation has failed to raise that generation. And I am so thankful that when I come here, I am amongst young people that are listening to the rebukes of the wise, not the songs of fools. Because what those people do not realize is they are headed straight for rocky, rocky shores. And there are arrows being drawn as we speak that will find the joints in the armor. They just don't realize it yet. Beg God to send wise people their way to say, stop. Stop what you're doing. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than the song of fools. I hope that's been profitable to you this morning.